Hello and welcome to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Today, I'm joined with Mark Driscoll, who's a pastor and author. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back everyone to the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. First of all, thanks so much for tuning into today's episode. If this is your first time checking us out, welcome. If you're a long time listener, thanks for your continued support. I hope this conversation provides some new life, light, and spirit into your faith walk. Before we hop in, I want to let you all know that we are doing a giveaway on Instagram. If you go and follow official guys like us, go to the latest post with Mark Driscoll and comment with one friend in the description, comment section. You will be entered to win a custom journal with the Greek word for disciple, which is Mathedes, labeled on the front. Today's conversation with Mark, uh, we dig into his early days when God spoke to him and he started his ministry. Mary Grace preached the Bible, trained men and plant churches, verbal, audible word from God. We jump into his latest book, Spirit-Filled Jesus, and dive into the power of the Spirit and the, that the Spirit had on Jesus' life. If the Holy Spirit is powerful in Jesus' life, should it be in your life? Uh, he shares some examples of how the Spirit must be looked at in the mundane as well as in the heat of the moment. Um, we often overlook its power. Um, and he gives us an example of a young woman who was able to forgive when all signs pointed and looked dark and sad. Uh, true hope can truly come from only one source. Remember Ephesians 4.32, to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. You're, you are forgiven. Your debt has been eradicated. Uh, tune in to hear about the Spirit-filled Jesus, among much more uh, with Mark uh, in this conversation. So I'm going to turn on over to my talk with Mark and hope that you enjoy. I'd love to hear a bit more about your faith and childhood background and really when you knew that you'd become a pastor and then also you know, a writer and author. I grew up uh, oldest of five kids. My dad was a union drywaller, so blue-collar family. His name was Joe. His name is Joe. Um, So like Jesus, I had a construction worker, blue-collar dad. Uh, Grew up Catholic, marginal Jack Catholic. Um, My mom met Jesus in the 1970s. You're probably too young to even have been around at that point. Um, But there was a charismatic Catholic renewal where a lot of Catholics started doing Bible studies and prayer meetings, especially women, uh, with evangelicals. And so my mom got saved in there. My mom actually got healed in there. And uh, and so she started praying for the rest of us kids. And uh, fast forward, I was uh, 17 in high school, met a adorable, sweet, just best ever gal. Her daddy was a pastor, uh, went to Dallas Seminary with uh, some evangelical stalwarts like Chuck Swindoll and Larry Richards and Hal Lindsey back in the day. And uh, I started getting to know her. I was smitten with her, and uh, she bought me a Bible. And then in college as a freshman, I started reading it and actually uh, got saved. Some Catholics know Jesus and they love Jesus. I wasn't one of them. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of a moral, religious, 
um, blue collar kid. And uh, I got saved in college at 19 and was at a men's retreat. And uh, God spoke to me audibly. I didn't even know he did that kind of stuff. Told me to marry Grace, well, preach, marry Grace, preach the Bible, train men, plant churches. And so I'm going to be 48 here uh, very, very shortly. And so I was 19 at the time, and that's what I've been trying to do uh, ever since he told me to do that. So Grace and I got married. Um, Grace and I have been together, married 26 years, been together 30 years. And so I'm kind of in that stage of life now where I'm a dad. I've got five kids of my own. They're ages 12 to 21. Uh, I've been teaching the Bible for more than 20 years. Um, life is actually in a really, really, really healthy, good, sweet, kind, good, awesome season. All my kids love the Lord and are walking with Jesus. And we planted a church together in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. It was a family project. All my kids did the demo and they now work in kids ministry and student ministry. And so we're kind of a, a ministry family, but it's been super, super, super fun to do it all together. So that's kind of the latest. We live in mm -hmm. Scottsdale, Arizona. I drove in today with a top off the Jeep. And uh, that way Jesus could see me smile and how happy I am to be in the sun. So all's well. That's that's incredible. Uh, it, and in that, going back to your childhood experiences and uh, into college, you you mentioned, or at least your mother uh, had some had an encounters and healings uh, with Christ. And I want to hear kind of a bit more about le leaning into that spirit and, and uh, leaning into more of your your recent book, uh, your recent work now, and your latest book, uh, Spirit Filled Jesus, which is set yeah. to release on October second. And I want to hear a bit more about the the inspiration behind this book. Uh, is there anything that you saw that was uh, lacking or maybe need to be reinforced or cl further clarified and how that came to light? Yeah, it's been uh, interesting. As a, as a Bible teacher, I tend to go through books of the Bible. I've preached through a few dozen books of the Bible. Uh, right now I'm in the middle of the Gospel of John, taking about a year and just grinding through the Gospel of John. The longest series I ever did was the entirety of the book of Luke. It took two full years to go through Luke. And uh, as I was preaching through Luke's gospel, verse by verse, a theme emerged. So early on, Jesus' mother, she, um, she, she you know, becomes pregnant by the power of the Holy Spirit. She conceives. Um, we find that John the baptizer is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb and worships Jesus. Elizabeth, um, Jesus' aunt, is filled with the Holy Spirit. Zechariah, Elizabeth, or uh, Jesus' uncle, rather, is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we see the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus at his baptism. Then it says he's led by the Spirit, he's filled with the Spirit, he rejoices in the Spirit. And I keep seeing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus through all of Luke's gospel. And then it kind of dawned on me, because I'm, I'm a nerd, I'm a Bible nerd, that Luke wrote two books, Luke and Acts. And when most people think about the Holy Spirit, they jump over to the book of Acts. Well, the book of Acts is the sequel, the book of Luke is the prequel. And just like the Holy Spirit descended on the church in Acts, First, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in Luke. And so um, Jesus lived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he sends the Holy Spirit so that Christians can live by his power. Well, as I started to unpack and think about this, I thought, this is in the Bible, but I really haven't read much of anything about it. I've got maybe 5,000 books in my library. I've got a master's degree in theology. Um, and I hadn't really heard about the ministry of the Holy Spirit much in the life of Jesus. So that led to years of studying the issue um, and seeing that some people have talked about it, but it's not gotten very much press. And you think about Jesus, I mean, more books have been written about him than anyone who's lived in the history of the world. And this is the one area that maybe we kind of missed and have been overlooked. And so uh, Jesus is God eternally. He became a man. And while he was on the earth, 
He lived out of his humanity by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was tempted as we were tempted. He has to forgive like we forgive. He had to have relationships like we have relationships. He had to stay emotionally healthy as we need to stay emotionally healthy. And he did it all by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, for me, this kind of opened it up. Everything that we are struggling with, Jesus has struggled with. And he gives us his power so that we can live in light of his victory and we can live to be like him. And so it kind of led to this book, Spirit-Filled Jesus, and a sermon series and daily devotions and a bunch of Bible teaching around it. And uh, for me as well, um, some people say, well, are you charismatic? It's like, why is talking about the Holy Spirit make you charismatic? He's God. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, the Mormons talk a lot about God as Father, and if I talk about the Father, it doesn't mean I'm Mormon. I'm just, I'm just teaching the Bible, and I, I don't want to get into the tribal turf wars. Let's just look at the life of Jesus. Let's open the Bible. Let's see if we miss something that maybe would be very helpful for us. Wonderful. Um, and, and you mentioned it's not only not only sprinkled in the Gospel of Luke, but is really all throughout, uh, as you as you mentioned, and, and seeing how it's not just something that he has called us to. You know, the, the disciples were empowered by the Spirit, and then they went out, but rather. The spirit is uh, is part of the life in the story of Jesus. Um, and I, I want to hear if there's is there an example or an, a key an examples of uh, that you kind of look to as your first. This is this is a great example of when you saw Jesus truly living by and, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, one the first one that comes to mind is in Luke chapter four, where it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for forty days. And so sometimes the Holy Spirit, he leads you into war. And it says at the end that Jesus over, you know, Satan came and they had this power encounter collision after 40 days. Jesus is tired and isolated and hungry. And, and then Satan comes to tempt him. And at the end, it says um, that he was led by the Spirit back into town and uh, that he began his ministry. And people were amazed at his spiritual authority. So the beginning and the end of Jesus' temptation is being led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, when we get tempted or we're struggling with something that is going to get us into harm's way, the question is, you know, are we being led by the Holy Spirit? If so, if so like Jesus, we can get through it and emerge victorious on the other side. And so a lot of times people think that the Holy Spirit, his ministry is primarily miraculous, and he does do the miraculous. A lot of what he does is the mundane. You're being tempted. He gives you the power to not give in. You're you're really frustrated with somebody because they have just breached trust and and you're 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 hurt by them. He gives you the power to forgive. You're frustrated because of sin, injustice, evil, oppression, sickness, whatever the case may be, and he brings you the emo emotional health of Jesus. So when the fruit of the spirit in Galatians is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that's the emotional life of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit brings us the emotional life of Jesus so that we can be emotionally healthy. And so it's all these practical, mundane, day-to-day -day things where I think most people think, well, the Holy Spirit's busy. He does the miraculous. He also does the mundane, and he did that in the daily life of Jesus while Jesus was on the earth. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and uh, kind of bringing this to more practical terms, right, and how, we've, how you've seen this and experienced it yourself as well within the church, uh, within just, you know, the mar just being in life now. Um, you mentioned that it's in, it's, it's in the mundane as well. Is there examples of that you, that you see, that you have seen or experienced of, uh, of, of people being empowered or just living really by the, by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I think one of the 
most powerful but oftentimes overlooked is the ability to forgive. I mean, mm. you know, I, I did a deep dive Bible study on forgiveness and unforgiveness and bitterness, and oftentimes in the same orbit where it's talking about unforgiveness or bitterness, it talks about Satan and demons and the demonic. It's because God, the God of the Bible, he does forgiveness. He forgives people. Satan doesn't forgive. And so Satan and demons are never forgiven of anything. They're never forgiving of anyone. And as a believer, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, if, if you are sinned against or hurt or wounded or offended, if you say, I'm not going to forgive them, you're opening yourself up to the demonic. If you, open, if you forgive them, you're opening yourself up to the Holy Spirit. And so that's why it says in Ephesians, don't, don't be bitter, don't give the devil a foothold, um, don't grieve the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is standing there saying, I know you're hurt, but I want to help you forgive them so you can get unburdened, heal up, and move forward. And so, I mean, uh, I'll give you an example of, you know, I'm a pastor, I've been in the pulpit on Sundays. Um, I was talking to brutal, brutal, brutal situation, a young woman. Recently, I was preaching on God as Father from uh, John chapter 14, and um, she, uh, she just has this horrific story where um, she lost her virginity to her dad when she was in middle school. I mean, her dad. I mean, I'm, I'm a dad. I got five kids. I got two daughters. My youngest daughter is 14. I just started crying. I just, I, I, I literally felt like I was going to throw up. I mean, the safest person on the earth, especially for a young woman, should be her dad. That should be, that should be the safest person on the earth. And this is a horrible, horrible man who he's died, but he should be, he should have been in jail. And uh, she has been tormented, haunted by that, angry, bitter, hurt, carried it for years and years and years. And it, it's affected her health. It affected her relationship with her husband. It affected, because uh, she obviously has a negative view of men, it affected her view of God. She had a hard time praying to God as father. And I said, I, I, you know, let's, let's work through a process where you forgive your father. That doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean that God forgives him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't go to hell. It means that you unburden yourself and you hand all of this to the Lord. And she worked through a, a forgiveness process with the Lord and kept inviting the Holy Spirit to help her to forgive her dad. And she did. And honestly, I've seen her health improve. I've seen her joy return. I've seen her friendship with her husband increase. I've seen her love and appreciation for God grow. Um, you know, damage, evil, horror was done to her. And in forgiving, she wasn't letting her dad get away with it. She was letting herself get away from it. And, and that was very, very recent. And so she's like, how can I do this? How can I forgive my dad? I said, you can't. It's going to take a miracle. It's going to take the supernatural. It's going to take the power of God and, uh, and then hand that, that case over to Jesus. And so, you know, I think there are people that are probably listening that there's somebody there, they're angry, hurt, wounded, offended uh, by, and they don't know how to get over it, get beyond it and move on. The Holy Spirit's standing there saying, I do forgiveness. I, I, I understand forgiveness. You forgive them and let me unburden you and then, and then let God deal with them. That's just one example that comes to mind. Well, no, that's very powerful. And, um, and yeah, it, it, I, I can't imagine because I, you know, I haven't been there and, and I'm sure it, it's hard to try and relate and empathize, but continuing to push people to, as you mentioned, that this isn't something that you can do with your own strength or with your own will, uh, but that it has to come from the supernatural. And she, and she was able to, and she's been able to get to a place of forgiveness or has really improved. It sounds like. 
Yeah, very much so. And uh, to the degree where I think for her, that event really was the center of her life from that moment forward. And by forgiving now God and healing and the future and hope is the center of her life. Um, when the worst day of your life becomes the center of your life, your life is going to take a very dark and, and sad turn. Mm. When you mm. forgive, you, you move it out of the center of your life and you put you know, the goodness of God and the hope of God in the center of your life. And then you start to get healthy and you start to get joyful and you start to live for your future instead of living in light of your past. Yep. Uh, and, and in your book, I want to kind of hop into one specific chapter and point as well is you speak on different types of, um, of unforgiving people or uh, just based on what you've seen and how you've kind of collected from your reading. Uh, can you summarize a bit more about these types and, and maybe the most one of the most prevalent or the one, an example that you see a lot? Yeah, I'm pulling it up. I got the book right here. I've got the book right in front of me. I'll make sure I get these right for you. Um, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot to memorize. Uh, going page uh, by page. Don't it's turn forty-eight. Your uh, your memory and your uh, your energy just they go off the cliff. So stay young and spry. Just that'd be my encouragement to you. Yeah, uh, yeah I've got it uh, here. It's uh, the archaeologist. This is the person who's always digging up the past. How's it going? Oh, remember when so and so said or did that? You're like, man, or. Or every new offense gets added to the list of past offense. Uh, the stalker, this is the person who they just are kind of obsessed with you. And in the age of social media, they're, they're always sort of peering into your life and and and, and, and it's not healthy. Uh, the tragic tale teller, they, they've sort of learned the way to tell their hurt narrative so that uh, anybody they talk to, they've really kind of got it down to an, almost a condo sales pitch. Here's who they are, here's what they said, here's what they did, here's how they hurt me. And, uh, and you can't stop telling the negative tale. The, the negative anniversary planner, these are people who, when something painful happens or bad happens, it becomes a negative anniversary. So they, they'll go into a depression, uh, they'll relive that horror or occasion, and it continues to be for them something negative. And if you have painful experiences through your life, I, I know one person, I actually told him, I said, how many negative anniversaries do you have? They put it on their calendar. This is the day I got divorced. This is the day I got sick. This is the day I lost my job. They have dozens of these, some of them formally on their calendar, some of them just informally in their mind. Um, the emotional leaker, this is the person that they're always hurt because uh, they've not forgiven. And so anything that happens, they just start leaking and venting and, and there's a lot of pain. Uh, the wounded digital warrior, these are the people that – they go crazy on social media, blog posts, comments. They find anybody that they think has suffered what they've suffered, and then all of a sudden they're going to defend everybody. Uh, the nasty nicknamer, sociologists will say that we, uh, we only nickname the people that we love and we hate. And, uh, and so if you've got some really nasty negative nicknames, you're no longer even referring to them by their name as a human being. Uh, you've just sort of created a caricature of them. That's an indication. And then uh, a bitter believer is a person who looks at God and says, you either did this or you allowed this to happen. You're unjust, you're unloving, you're unfair. Uh, this is where people get bitter against God. Sometimes people walk away from God 
and they feel very judgmental and self-righteous in doing so as if God failed them. And so, you know, if anybody who's listening has any of these sort of elements or aspects to their story, you know, check your heart and ask, man, am I, am I bitter? Am I unforgiving? Have I opened myself up to demonic torment and, and haunting from the enemy? If so, I, I need to get healthy. I need to invite the Holy Spirit. I need to forgive. I need God to, to, to change my heart so that I can be a healthy person. And, and I'll, I'll say this too. I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a, a wonderful wife, my best friend and five kids. And just even in my life, like if, if I'm not pursuing emotional health through the Holy Spirit, if I'm not forgiving people, I take all of that baggage and bitterness home to my wife and my kids. My mood is sour. I'm angry. I'm upset. I'm hurt. I'm leaking. I'm venting. Um, and, and what I'm really doing then is I'm harming the people that I love the most. Um, and, and I would submit to you that a lot of men are in that category, just angry, bitter, jaded, disappointed, mm. hurt, isolated. Uh, a lot of my ministry is to men and a lot of men, this is a big issue for them. They just, it's like sports or business or military. They, they keep score. They feel if they lost or somebody cheated, they just hold a grudge and they can't move on and they can't let it go. Yeah. Wow. So you, you mentioned all these different, these different types and, you know, ways that people uh, maybe justify or, or just avoid um, forgiveness. And, uh, and you've, you've spoken a bit more on the, the detriments that this has not only to yourself, but to your family or and to others that you encounter and that you're not, you're not being fair to them. Um, wanted to, you know, what, what does forgiveness do? You spoke again on this with that, this young woman and how she's been able to get to a, a new place and has, you said, kind of taking a new step forward. What, what does that step forward mean? What does that look like? Um, well, firstly, as a Christian, we start by before we're forgiving of anyone, we're forgiven by God, which is amazing. I mean, you know, the Apostles Creed says, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I mean, that's sort of the bedrock, bedrock and 101 of Christianity. Mm. And, um, you know, Jesus says, um, you know, that we need to forgive others. Uh, and if we don't forgive others, you know, how should we expect the Father to forgive us? And so, you know, Paul says it in Ephesians, Paul says it in Colossians, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And so the first thing is, you, you know, people need to understand you're forget. If you belong to Jesus, he died for all of your sins, past, present and future. Uh, your debt to God is entirely eradicated and you are totally, completely, eternally forgiven. And I think sometimes Christians even, they will say that, but they really don't live in light of that. They they still, you know, something bad happens, oh, God must be punishing me, or maybe I deserve it, or this is karma coming to give me. They don't understand that they really are forgiven. And firstly, it's um, it's uh, it's embracing that full, free forgiveness that Jesus gives, and then sharing it with someone else. And so I, I think sometimes people that struggle to forgive, I think it's they're also struggling to receive forgiveness from God. And, uh, and once you receive forgiveness from God, it is a burden lifter. I mean, you don't feel guilty. You don't worry about hell. You don't, you don't walk around, you know, worried that God is seeking to punish you. It, it takes that fear and that religion away, and it allows a healthy, loving relationship with God, um, where God is father, and you're his kid, and dad's there to help, and dad loves you, and dad's a good, loving, safe dad. And then as you share that gift with others, I mean, you know, we all have had this experience where where somebody gives us something and we get to share it with somebody else. That's the best feeling in the world. It's it, it, it's it's why we uh, it's why we have relationships. We want to take the things that are good in life and we want to share them. 
Well, forgiveness is the best thing in life, and God gives it to us to enjoy, but also to share. And as we share forgiveness with others, we start to we start to share in some of God's joy. Um, and, and as a result, too, we get to see other people blessed. We get to see other people unburdened. We get to see other people unstuck. We get to see other people healed up. And I would just submit to you, you know, I don't want to get into politics and the culture, but man, our world is not healthy. It is not joyful, and it does not do forgiveness. I mean, it just does not. It is just vengeance, bitterness, slander, attack, hostility. I mean, right now our culture is just a dumpster fire, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think people need a neutral corner. I think they need a place to meet with God. I think they need a place to get healthy. I think they need a place to be encouraged. And, uh, you know, we can fight over stuff for the rest of our life or we can all forgive, heal up and move on and, mm. and have a future, you know. And, and there's a lot of people that are just stuck, man. I mean, they are just locked down, stuck and angry and bitter and wounded and jaded. And I think we all get there at some point, but you got to get out of that place. Otherwise, the future is just brutal. Mm. Um, you mentioned um, looking at the uh, just there's a lot of folks that are maybe Christian or maybe not Christian that are struggling to maybe accept or understand for, that they've been forgiven. Is it, you think, coming to a place of acceptance or, or is it a place of asking for forgiveness that, that, that is really realized and that forgiveness starts to kind of take on a new form and like, hey, I can actually go and then move on to this place of being able to share it with one another, as you said, and there's really nothing more beautiful than, than doing that. Yeah, well, faith really is the issue always for the Christian. And it is trusting that when, um, Jesus prayed on the cross, Father, forgive them. Hmm. And then and then Jesus died. That, and he said, you know, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Let me walk you through that. It's in the book, the Spiritual Jesus book. Hmm. Let me do a quick summary. So Jesus is God. If there was ever anybody who could say it wasn't my fault, it would be Jesus. I mean, the, the rest of us, maybe we to some degree participate in things because we make mistakes and commit sins. Jesus didn't. And so he is truly the innocent victim in every single way. Didn't contribute uh, any degree of what he endured and had to suffer. He went in our place for our sins. He's on the cross and he prays, Father, forgive them. Okay? They take a sponge, they shove it in Jesus' mouth. I was in uh, Ephesus at the archaeological dig of the ancient city there. And uh, I always, when I was first a Christian and read the Bible, I thought, oh, it's nice they're giving Jesus a drink. They took a sponge, sopped it in a wine vinegar on the end of a stick and put it in his mouth. And I thought, okay, they're giving him a, a drink. It's a refreshment. What I found was that sponge was a uh, standard issue for a Roman soldier for their, uh, their field uh, kit. And they would use it as for going to the bathroom like toilet paper. You're out in the field. They would take their sea sponge, they would sop it in wine vinegar as an antiseptic to kill the germs, and then they would use it to scrub themselves after they went to the bathroom. And so Jesus says, Father, forgive them, and then they shoved that sponge in his mouth. So Jesus is praying for our forgiveness. In that moment, a soldier takes his, his toiletry, shoves it in God's mouth, um, and then Jesus says, it is finished. And he dies to answer his prayer that you and I might be forgiven. And so when someone comes along and says, well, you know, I just can't accept that. It's like, what else do you want Jesus to do for you? I mean, and if somebody comes along and says, well, I just can't forgive myself or I feel like I need to do something to pay God back. It's like, what could you do that Jesus didn't already do? 
I mean, God lived, God prayed for you, God tasted a guy's bowel movement, and then God died so that you could be forgiven. I mean, I, I can't think of anything else that we could do or, or, or could be done to add to that. And as a Christian, it's realizing, okay, I'm, I'm forgiven, and, and if I don't receive that gift from Jesus, that's really offensive because look at all the work that he went to so that I could enjoy this gift that he would give to me. Um, and so that, that, is, that is part of the book when I talk, uh, I think I give four chapters altogether to suffering and to forgiveness. There's also stuff on emotional health and relational health, and there are brighter points in the book. But yeah, that's, that's part, we should probably just hit the deep vein of the dark part of the narrative of the life of Jesus, but it's important. Yeah. So how did Jesus endure that? How did he not fight back? How did he not cuss people out? Um, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He, he had the spirit of self-control. Um, and, and that's what's remarkable to me is that he sends the Holy Spirit so that we could start to live by that same power and demonstrate that same kind of Christ-like character by the grace of God. Mm. And absolutely, I think in these moments too, um, I think some of us can fall into a position of maybe overlooking or not looking at the intensity of and, the, and really the, the pain and the agony of this of this act and everything that was done, uh, but and you know reading reading this as as if, as if it's a book rather than this is this is uh, this is a destiny. Um, yeah. So it's really looking at it and being hey like this <laughs> if this isn't gripping me I gotta I gotta continue to read it in a different way. Yeah. Well, and I think sometimes as Christians we I don't know about you I mean if you live in a place for a while and you drive there all the time. On the way home, you kind of just space out and you don't really take in the sights. I think sometimes Christians have heard, you know, Jesus loves you, he died on the cross for your sins. We sort of just drive right by it. Mm. We don't hit the brakes, pull over, you know, take a look. Let me look at this a little more closely and investigate the details. And so one of the things I do in Spirit-Filled Jesus, I, I focus on, I do, I do talk a lot about the cross, and I try to pull the car over, you know, and take in the vista. Let's take a look at this and, and let's take time to examine it. Because I think most Christians will just say it in like a sentence and move on very quickly without really unpacking all the significance therein. Um, and, and so, yeah, we tried to do that in the book. And um, and honestly, the book, um, it's deep theologically, but it's very readable and practical. So what I'm trying to do is take decades of deep theological research, work, and Bible teaching and get it out of the hands of, you know, the academics and the scholars and get it into the hands of moms, dads, college students, young professionals, people that, you know, they, 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 they want to learn these things, but they don't have the, the time or the energy to wade through the, the stacks and stacks of research and controversy and books and journals to kind of arrive at the place where they have a summary of it all. And so I, I feel like that's one of the gifts that God has given me. I like to study broadly and then synthesize, boil it down, make it practical. Again, I grew up with a construction worker dad, and I'm always trying to ask, you know, how can you make this as straightforward as possible without losing the richness and the depth of the biblical content? That's good. That's good. Um, you mentioned uh, this last, last point on this topic and really on the book. You mentioned that your greatest ministry comes from your deepest pain. Uh, can you just share a bit more into what you mean by that? Well, I, what I mean by that is, uh, you know, oftentimes, um, let me say it this way. I was just preaching in, uh, I'm in John's Gospel, so it comes mm. to mind. Jesus says that believers that are fruitful, they'll be pruned. That God the Father is like a gardener and, and Jesus is divine. We are the branches and that God will prune us. And so I, I told our church family, 
you know, pain comes into the Christian life, suffering comes into the Christian life, and it's not God punishing us, it's God pruning us. And he's pruning us so that we can be more health, uh, healthy, and he's pruning us so that we can be more, more fruitful. Um, if you ask the average believer, do you want to be more fruitful? They'd probably say yes. Do you want to go through hardship, suffering? No. <laughs> no. Mm. Uh, but just like any tree or any plant or any vine, if you never prune it, eventually sucker branches come. You get on, you know, the, the, the plant gets unhealthy, and eventually the resources are not well allocated, and it, it starts to atrophy and die. And so, you know, God looks at us and says, I'm going to prune that, I'm going to prune that, I'm going to prune that, I'm going to prune that. And those are those are painful moments and seasons. This is the loss of health, loss of income, loss of relationship, um, loss of job, you know, loss of marriage, there's a divorce, parents die, all these different painful seasons of life. But if we lean into those, Jesus, uh, in that context in John, he's talking about, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He's talking in that context about the Holy Spirit bringing us his life energy so that we could be healthy and grow, and then we become fruitful. Well, the whole point of fruit is to nourish others. And so, you know, when I say the deepest, the, the, the greatest ministry comes from the deepest pain, that's kind of an echo of a man named A.W. Tozer. It means as God prunes us, we become fruitful in those areas, and then that fruit nourishes others. Um, and so if you have, you know, buried a child, you now have an empathy, a compassion, and an insight to minister to people that have a similar experience. If you've been through a divorce or you've battled through an illness or um, or whatever the case may be, whatever your, your, your hardship has been, if you will bring the Holy Spirit into that and allow it to be a pruning place that becomes a fruitful place, then you have the ability to nourish others with the life experience that you have. Hmm. And this is why... Um, this is why even as a pastor in a church, people will come up and they'll be like, I've got a child who's struggling with drug addiction, or we just suffered a miscarriage, or you know, uh, we're a blended family trying to figure out how to get all these kids to get along. And what I tell them is, oh, I know a couple in the church, I know a person in the church, they've been through what you're going through, and the person lights up and like, oh, I need to talk to them because they'll get it, they'll understand. That's the, really the essence of ministry. Ministry is taking the places that God has pruned and the Holy Spirit has made fruitful and then using that fruit to nourish others. And and that's the Christian life. That's where ministry comes from. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to be particularly gifted. You just need to be honest about your pain and invite God to make those fruitful places that nourish others. That's really all that it takes. Yep, completely agree. And I think through these experiences, we're able to develop empathy, as you mentioned, for others that are going through this. And others recognize that, hey, I, I need to I need to talk with I need to chat with this person because they they can understand what I'm going through much more than maybe I know what I'm going through at sometimes as well. So you can be a you can really be a light to that situation and uh, can and really change a life as well. Yeah, that's that's always the hope. I mean, if you're going to go through something, might as well use it. You know, invest it. Don't waste it. Um, share it. That's that's the key to the Christian life. That's the key to Christian ministry. Yeah. Um, just to, to, to wrap up, I wanted to know uh, what, what has been the, the biggest change in your life uh, or changes in your life that you've seen through writing this book and really living into the spirit across this, you know, throughout the maybe it's past few years, maybe it's uh, recently. Yeah, I would say um, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in my life, I've always loved and had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. We talk a lot about a personal relationship with Jesus. Well, Jesus had a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Um, it says when Jesus was baptized that the Holy Spirit came and rested upon him. That means that, and that word there means literally to continue with. So, um, you know, 
Grace and I just recently celebrated our 26th wedding anniversary. And from that moment forward, we've done everything together. And uh, the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus was kind of like that. He was always there. He was always with him. They did everything together. And it, it really uh, got me thinking, okay, how do I invite the Holy Spirit into all aspects of my life? Uh, my emotional life, my relational life, my family, uh, ministry, work, um, and have that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, that daily practical relationship with the Holy Spirit as Jesus did. And um, I would tell you, uh, in this season of my life, uh, because of the Holy Spirit, I believe I'm the most uh, physically healthy. I'm the most emotionally healthy. Um, I'm enjoying some of the. I'm, I'm enjoying the healthiest relationships of my life. My marriage with my wife has always been good. We we really do love each other. We are in a supernatural season of fun and friendship and affection. And I mean, today before the interview, my wife came out and gave me a big hug and a kiss and laid hands and prayed over me for this interview. And I can't wait to get home tonight and to see her, you know. I'll get choked up just thinking about her. So the Holy Spirit has brought a lot of hope, help, and healing into my life. And this is this is the healthiest, most joyful season of my life and ministry and family. Watching the Holy Spirit save my kids, lead my kids, mold my kids, direct my kids, my kids all walking with Jesus, faithfully serving in ministry. I mean, I feel very, very, very richly blessed. And I know that without the Holy Spirit— Every single thing in my life is different, and nothing in my life is better. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, and just to wrap up, want to know uh, if there's anything that you that you didn't mention and would like to cover or encourage for for our listeners. Um, and then to conclude, just where they can find uh, a bit more about you or a bit more about the book. Yeah, all my Bible teaching is at markdriscoll.org. There's an app as well. There's like 300 sermons, daily devotions, research briefs for leaders, weekly answer. Uh, video questions that people send in, just an old-school beat-up Bible teacher trying to help. Uh, books for sale at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Sam's Club, all those kind of mm. typical outlets. Well, Mark, uh, again, thanks so much um, for, for being here today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and hearing about uh, some of your latest uh, work, which has been a really a culmination of many years of your life. So thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Guys Like Us podcast. This is your host, Tyler Brondike. Remember, if you'd like to be entered into the giveaway, go online, follow official guys like us on Instagram, tag a friend in the comment section of the latest post with Mark Driscoll, and you'll be entered to win a free journal. All right, that is all we have for today. Look forward to seeing you all next week.